and welcome to this special BAFTA event, a Q&A for Make Me Famous. I'm joined by Tom Brittany, who plays Billy, Emma Rigby, who plays Michelle, Colin Barr, who is the exec producer, and of course, Reggie Yates, who is the writer. Welcome all. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so, Reggie, I think we should start with you. This was announced last August, but can you tell me how the idea came about this is your first writing project so I'm curious to know how you how you thought of it uh well first of all I wish it was my first writing project because that would oh, be not yeah. it's a good start <laughs> <We're starting laughs> Jeez, I'll, I'll be I'll be bragging about this all day if it was the first thing I've ever <laughs> now I've been writing for, for quite a few years but uh like most writers you kind of keep things to yourself and are scared to show anyone for fear of massive criticism but um in the last seven or eight years I started to share some of the things that I've been working on privately with my team and um, as word got out that I was writing, I was actually approached uh, for this by the lovely people at Expectation and Colin to be specific. And um, sort of working with Expectation in the factual space uh, on things like the Grenfell documentary that we made and a subsequent China documentary, um, the collaboration felt like it made sense, especially as you know the idea was gonna have a factual spin on it. And um, once we got talking, it just felt like exactly the kind of project that, that I wanted to do. Well, Colin, we should ask you then, what, what made you think of Reggie for this project? Well, the project started, initially we were talking about whether we could make a documentary on the subject, but um, I think my, my feeling was that it, it would end up with us going around meeting lots of people and talking to lots of people in the past tense about their experiences on those shows, and, and that if we really wanted to do something that was psychologically interesting, the best way of doing that was to write a drama and um, Reg and I had worked on a film about Grenfell. He talked about the fact that he was writing. We were talking about other projects to do. I had this thing sort of rattling around in my head a little bit. And um, and we, we actually met to talk about a variety of, of things. And it was almost in the meeting that we started talking about it. And I could see straight away that it was a subject, obviously, that was really close to, to Reg's heart. And it almost felt like it was one of those moments where you're like, of course, this is, it's like, who, who's better to write this? And who would we rather work with on it? And all of Reg's ideas were fantastic. He had a deep understanding of the whole thing. The working relationship was already really good and solid. And it, it just, it was, it just felt like a perfect sequence of events, really. And in terms of uh, making, you, Colin, obviously you have a lot of experience in factual programming, but in terms of making it into a drama, you talked a little bit about it then, but what was behind the decision to make it a drama rather than to go with the documentary idea? I think the great thing about drama with certain stories, you're always asking yourself the question, why does this story need to be told in drama rather than documentary, especially when you're doing factual stories? And I think the feeling with this story was, the only way of really taking an audience and putting them inside that experience in the present tense was to do it via drama. Um, and you want to feel like what you're going to do is put the audience in the position of the central character, in this case, Billy, that's played brilliantly by Tom, so that they can start to imagine themselves in that role and, and sort of almost experience it as it's happening to him. And you could never do that in a documentary, you'd always be doing it in the past tense. And this way you can make it immediate and visceral and, and just psychologically much, much more rich. 
I mean, Tom, what it, the sympathy that the viewer has for Billy, it, it comes across from the very beginning, but were you at all concerned that something like the strife of being famous is not necessarily the easiest thing on paper to conjure up sympathy for? I don't I, I never thought about it. I always thought that Reggie's script really, really got that. And, and from the moment that I read it when I was auditioning, I always felt that I got in, in Billy's head. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd met people who were in that world at events through working on ITV before. I'd met people on, on reality TV shows and, and I'd sort of chatted to them before and kind of done, I guess, accidental research. And, and I thought what Reggie put on the paper was, was really good. And I always kind of, I always really felt for, for Billy and I thought the script was really good at showing the human side behind the fame, which is, which is, what it, is why it's so important. Uh, Reggie, can we talk about the research? Because it, it, it took a lot of research by the sounds of it. Can you explain a little bit about the process and what you did to, to kind of get these stories? Yeah, well, to, to be honest, it's sort of a, a perfect storm, really, in a lot of ways. Um, between the research and the experience of Colin, you know, Colin won't talk about his experience in this lane of um, factual drama. But, you know, we, uh, we are essentially the newest uh, iteration of a, a long line of uh, dramas that have come through BBC Three that were actually kicked off by Colin with, um, I'll never forget our first meeting when I sort of kept talking about how much I love my murder, which was um, the first time I saw John Boyega on screen. And that was the beginning of this strand that we now belong to. So um, <clears throat> between Colin's uh, experience and the research and sitting down with uh, lots of different people from the reality world, from different shows, um, I think we sort of we, I definitely felt secure in knowing that whatever was going to be committed to the script was going to be not only true, but also uh, be able to be told in a factual way as well as a dramatic way too. Did anything, when you interviewed those, um, you interviewed, how, how many people was it who had been on reality TV? It's quite a lot. I think it was about a dozen, yeah. We, uh, we spoke to a dozen, myself and the, the research team at Expectation. And did anything come up from those conversations that you thought, actually, this is too far-fetched for <laughs> a drama? Did anything surprise you? Um, everything surprised me. <laughs> um, I think uh, when you sort of really get under the skin of what some of uh, the guys who have come from these shows have actually experienced, it's mind-blowing. But I'm in a bit of a unique position as someone who's hosted reality competitions over the years. And um, much like Tom, you sort of come into contact with people from that world and uh, as someone who's hosted everything from music to entertainment shows, you sort of get used to this cycle of talent and faces that sort of come in and then go away again. And I, I, sort, of, I sort of remember being really surprised at just how quickly certain people from the reality space would suddenly appear as the biggest thing ever and then disappear instantly. And it was almost a, um, a scarily quicker uh, cycle than in pop music, which is what I was used to. So it always um, sort of, it was always on my radar as something that was just different and, and, and definitely harder in terms of the way in which it treated the people in question. Um, Emma, were you a fan of reality TV before you did this? I've, I'd never actually watched a reality TV show in my life before um, reading this script. So um, what did the research involve for you? Um, I didn't actually do any research because I really strongly identified with the material that Reggie had written as somebody that had started on a TV show when I was 14 years of age. I kind of identified with the experience um, as a, with, the, with the story and the, 
the, the piece itself. And for me, it just resonated. And I saw each character that's portrayed within the film. I, I, I've seen, I've been around, and I uh, have some very personal um, ties to my own experience in the industry um, and as a woman in this world. Yeah. Oh, that actually brings up a very interesting question because, uh, Reggie, I was interested to know why you focused on a man, a male character who comes out of this reality TV world, why he's at the centre of it. Um, why, why that choice? Yeah, I think that uh, the role that men play in these, um, in these sorts of shows is quite a unique one, really, particularly a young guy with a character like Billy. It's almost as, as though uh, young men on these shows are expected to behave a certain way. And the character that we meet uh, is definitely living up to that stereotype. But the layers beneath that are where we find out who Billy really is. And it just felt like a really fascinating person to explore uh, if he were to have this level of bravado and notoriety. But quite clearly, he was a very different person in real life. Um, Emma, why do you think Michelle is okay in the aftermath of her appearance on the show and Billy really isn't? What do you think she's got that he doesn't have? Um, I think that what she has, and I, which I've spoken about before, is the team and the people around her. Um, and I, I, I felt it was important that we see, we think that somebody is a huge success and it's actually, it could be just the fact that they have the right management and the right, you know, it's a creation. Michelle in herself is a creation. She's a persona. She's a character of herself. Um, <laughs> you, you know, would that be, uh, Reggie, would that be kind of... Yeah, that's, no, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I'm annoyed that I didn't write that down somewhere, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. I think that the, the key to all of the characters is just for us as an audience to find a way to empathise with them, because realistically, the people that succeed in these shows are every man, you know, they're, they're people that yeah. we can see some of ourselves in. And uh, Michelle was certainly that as well. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what, uh, and I think what, Michelle was vulnerable and she's willing to be vulnerable and um, relatable. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit more about your different experiences of fame? Because I know, Emma, you mentioned then that, you know, you were on a TV show when you were 14. That, what was that like for you? That must have been uh, quite life altering to, you know, if that's not an understatement, but what was that like to you, for you to be thrust into the public spotlight? Tell me now as, um, you know, a 30 year old uh, with some maturity and, uh, you know, been working in this industry a long time that I realize how, it, you know, how, it really deeply affects your psyche and um, I don't think there's anything that quite prepares you for for that and for me it was um, not having the right people around me um, it's only now that I feel comfortable to be myself and I'm at a place where I'm happy with it and I've gone back to the love of my craft, which is I love acting. I've never really wanted to play the game and the, the celebrity kind of, but um, you know, the understanding that you kind of, you kind of have to embrace that. And also it's okay to be yourself. Whereas a lot of my life, I was told not to be that. Um, I, and I listened to a lot of people, whereas now I'm like, I'm, 
and it's kind of which was great to do this piece I don't know when I read the script and I was just like oh I have to be in this it's it's really poignant and personal to me and it's um you know the synchronicity of the, the world that we're living in now and how much culturally reality tv and tv entertainment influences um especially with the with social media um it forms our uh, reference of life really Again, can we talk about people's experience of social media? Because uh, this the 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 program does such a good job of making clear that there's a human connection involved in these. You know, you're tweeting someone, you're saying something mean, and there's a human being at the end of that, and it makes that very apparent. Is that something, Tom? Is that something that you? What's your relationship with social media like? I I've, I've gone through slight phases of healthy and unhealthy. I, I think there's some real pros to, to it. I, I mainly use it for publicity for, for stuff that I'm working on. But I like to interact with fans of, of things that I've, I've done and, and, and showing, yeah, a more human side behind the characters I play, showing a bit of, of, of me, which sometimes I like to think people are interested in. Um, so it's, you know, it's a good chance for that. But then the, the darker side of it is, is the side that is shown in this and, and a side that we, we are all so aware of is, is trolling, and 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 a sort of you know echo chamber of of hatred and and it, that that's the real problem that I have with it and I, I'd love to, I'd love for it to be able to change some somehow you know I, I I've I've been on the receiving end of people who at you and and say something mean it it never you try not to let it get to you um, I'm I'm lucky it doesn't happen too often but it happens enough for you to kind of go ah oh, why have they felt the need to do that. Um, I always, Amanda Abington, who plays my mum, she had this, this wonderful idea because she got off Twitter because she couldn't take it anymore. It was too tough on her. And she said that what she thinks should happen is that Twitter make it compulsory for you to verify who you are with a passport or an ident you know, ID card or something like that so that you, you can't hide behind an anonymous identity. Mm. If we change that, you know, you've got there's so many people who hide behind this you know, picture of a cat and then tweet, I hated you on that show, you're ugly. Don't know if they'd do that if they had, you know, Heather from Hull or something like that. I don't think they would do that. But I'd, I'd love to see it change and just people being a bit more compassionate and understanding that the person behind the computer is a person as well. Yeah. And Reggie, you've kind of grown up on our screens and I feel like people have grown up with you. Do you think that's given you um, a sort of unique insight into fame? I feel like, as you said, you know, you've hosted reality competitions and things like that. Have you seen all sides of it? In a way, yeah. Um, I, again, have a, a very strange relationship with uh, with fame. Um, I was sort of uh, raised in the industry to believe there is no such thing as star and fame. But um, obviously over time, culture changes and celebrity culture now is the dominant culture. And um, literally being a child in television, it was just uh, something that I loved doing that people happened to see. And I never thought any more than that. And in a way, I'm really glad that I started in the entertainment business at the age that I did because uh, everybody that I was around was searching for a career and not much else. You know, there was no social media when I started. So um, to have that strange, unique relationship with an audience where having been on TV for 30 years, you've got people who have literally grown up with you. And when people stop you in the street, they talk to you like they know you because in a way they kind of do. They remember your 
terrible moustache that you had as a teenager because they had one too. And they were watching you while you were presenting with a terrible haircut and a bad moustache. So um, I, I recognise that my experience is very unique in comparison to a lot of people. And um, as someone who um, was, was sort of stopped on the street before social media existed, I am not one who sort of needs the validation of social media, which is why I have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it. Um, I, I tweet very, very infrequently because I think the culture of, of that uh, particular social network isn't the greatest. Um, I'm much more of an Instagram person. I think it has a better culture. And I think for anybody who's new to this, um, it's a scary place, particularly if you have come into uh, a level of notoriety through reality TV. Uh, it can be cutthroat. And um, I think that that was a key part of Billy's story, exploring that element of it, because um, this script had uh, quite a few different iterations. And as we went through it, uh, the thing that became increasingly important was to make sure that no one corner of Billy's life was responsible for his downward spiral. And I think it's um, it's been quite commonplace recently where people are solely blaming, blaming uh, social media for uh, for the way in which some of these young people are being treated. Whereas I think that every corner of the business uh, is responsible. And I think we, we all should take some responsibility in terms of how we treat and or feed into this environment that we're now living in. Do you think, Colin, that there's something unique about um, fast fame? Because it feels like Make Me Famous really touches on this new sort of relatively new phenomenon of people becoming hugely famous very quickly. They're in our living rooms every single night of the week and we feel like we know them. But it feels like it's a new phenomenon that's only kind of emerged in, in recent times. Well, it's particularly because they, they become famous for being famous. Almost, they don't. They don't necessarily have a, a, a great talent, and they would be the first to say that themselves. And so they've got nothing to fall back on. So the fame becomes an end in itself. And I think when it becomes an end in itself, then you're sort of chasing your own tail potentially. And of course, there's a whole queue of people waiting to replace you, and you've got nothing to fall back on at all. So when the next Billy comes along, then the old Billy is sort of done, and you know. One of the things that we used to talk about all the time with Reggie was that um, there's a point at which you've played a part for so long that you almost can't go back to the person you were. And it's not just that you can't go back. It's like the world you used to inhabit doesn't want you. So you can't go back to the old job. You can't go back to the old streets. Sometimes you can't go back to your family. So everything that you used to be goes, then your fame goes, and then who are you? I think clearly the, the show asks a lot of questions and poses a, a lot of questions and asks its audience to ask themselves a lot of questions. But do you think there are any answers that can be found in it, Reggie? Um, well, Colin, please feel free to, uh, to shut me down here. But uh, much like the documentaries that I make, one of which uh, I made with, um, with Colin, uh, I, I tend to not like to end... Uh, any sort of programming that I make with a full conclusion as if I'm the person with the answers. Um, I think the best documentaries are ones that leave people asking questions and ideally having a conversation and being challenged in their point of view through consuming the content. And I think at the end of this, we ask a lot of questions and rightfully so, because quite clearly nobody has the answer because these problems still exist. So for me, I think one of the biggest and most successful things that I felt off the back of people reacting to watching 
the film on iPlayer and uh, and on BBC One on Thursday night at nine o'clock um, <laughs> is that people are having a conversation and that's the healthiest thing about it. I think um, we don't provide answers. We offer, we offer questions that are nuanced and uh, through the, the course of the hour, we deliver enough reason to justify every single question we ask. Um, I said that I would insert a spoiler alert when I was about to talk about specific plot points. So if anyone is watching and does not want to know what happens, now is a good time to mute for a good couple of minutes or so. But I'd like to talk about the ending because the ending is bleak and I think you make the choice that Billy doesn't die, but that is also bleak. It doesn't really feel like it's necessarily a happy ending. So I wonder if... Um, Colin, can you talk about the the choices that were made around that ending? Because it felt like it could go in a number of different directions. Do you know, funnily enough, and Reg, you step in if I'm going a bit far. I mean, we did we we did have a number of endings in our heads, as you might imagine. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, we almost shot different endings at one point. I think um, just because it's so hard to know. It's very hard to know where you want to leave people emotionally after a story like that. And in some respects, the job becomes, can you take the audience to a point where all outcomes are still possible at the end? That emotionally you've taken to them, them to the point where, and I am about to offer a spoiler here, where the question of whether Billy is successful in killing himself or not almost isn't the point. It's the fact that he was taken to that edge at all that is the point. But then, of course, you can say that, but you also you, you need people to feel like um, you've told a, a story that is, and this is not a great word, but satisfying in its own terms. And so you do have to find an ending that feels right. Otherwise, it doesn't feel satisfying or true. And we did agonise over that. We really, we really did agonise over it. And um, uh, and to Reggie's point, we wanted to end with an ambivalence. So, however it ended, we didn't want to end with judgment, and we didn't want to make it neat. We wanted it to end ambivalently, and that was the choice. I think that the um, the back and forth that I remember most was. Um after writing uh, a few different versions of how the story could actually end to great detail, um, the conversation about what would you do if you were Billy? Do you remember Colin came up? And having that as being almost the, the leaving thought when we you know, push in on Billy at the end and we see this character who's literally been taken to the worst place possible, but he is in that moment been offered everything that he's been fighting for and wanted the question is, what would you do? And that, for me, speaks to the empathy we're asking the audience to have for some of these characters in terms of just how much they are pushed. Um, I don't know, Tom, maybe you can sort of explain a little more about um, playing that because literally there was so little on the page in terms of what we gave you, but what you delivered was exactly what we discussed during the, uh, the, the, the writing process. Well, I mean, what about, about the suicide scene at the end? Um, uh, in the hospital, particularly. Yeah, I, I I really liked the ending that you chose. I mean, look, of course, there are people in that situation who don't get that, who don't get that second chance. And and if 
for Billy, it's, I, I think that seems important to show the sort of hypocrisy and the cutthroat nature of, of, of the world after these things happen or whether, whether people do end up dying or are brought to the brink is when, you know, see the Garrett, my manager character coming in and, and like a vulture just going straight into, oh, we can, we can do this as a media opportunity. I think that was really useful to have to show. Yeah, I think it, I think it was good to end with what would you do? I mean, I, I'd like to think I know what Billy would do. I'd like to think that he wouldn't take that opportunity. And I think he'd like to learn from that. I don't know. I don't know. I liked that it was open and, and for people to sort of interpret. And like you said, like come away thinking, yeah, what would I, what would I do? And yeah, I think it was a really moving ending to, to choose that one. Um, Emma, as someone who has not uh, watched much reality TV, what did you did you feel? What did you feel like you learned from it by being part of this? I felt the piece not only was a, uh, about reality TV, but it's very true to life and where we find ourselves as a planet um, and a commu <laughs> community of living beings right now where um, I'm where I'm from originally is called St. Helens and it has the highest rate of male suicide in the whole of the UK. And I feel like we were at the very limit, the edge of where a lot of people are in desperate need of help from whatever demographic you're from, whether you're, you know, you are on a TV show or, you know, you're, uh, you're struggling, you're unemployed, you're struggling to get um, a job. I think that it speaks not only, so I could identify it with my whole thing of reality was reality TV just shows the, the culture that we're in. It's a, just a representation of, of real life and the struggles that people are going with today. And it's an imitation um, and it's kind of where does that begin? The art and reality, it's, it's all one and, and it's this illusory like uh, world we, we live in. And um, it's, I think that the, I feel like it really touched a lot of people and the feedback that I've been getting from people that I know, they said that it was really, it really took the breath away to see to see the piece on TV and to, to make people think and identify and be, and be like, oh, wow. And for those people that are needing help, um, I think it's a real, it, you know, it gives you the confidence to to ask for help and to reach out um, and, and speak about our mental health issues. I think the idea that a life can be produced and edited actually does go beyond reality TV as mm -hmm. well. We're all on our phones offering a sort of version of of what we're living but um I'm interested in the reaction to it so it's been on iPlayer for a little while Reggie have people come back to you and and kind of given you I know it's not for you to say what people made of it but um have you had feedback especially from the people that you interviewed about it um no no I haven't spoken to any of the people that uh, I interviewed but um I am very fortunate to have uh, an incredibly honest mother and group of friends <laughs> and uh, the feedback that I've had consistently is, uh, could we have picked a more handsome Billy? Uh, <laughs> very transparent in saying that we've got the best that we could find in a very short period of time. No, um, people, people are, 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 are into it because I think um, it does what this, uh, 
for want of a better word, Strand has continued to do. And that is take an issue that is incredibly relevant to uh, not just the young audience, because you know, these films play out in BBC Three primarily, but also BBC One. Uh, and it puts a spotlight on an issue that is affecting uh, everybody's lives in some way, shape or form, be it a story that you read in the newspaper or a, a story about a character that you may have seen on screen. Uh, these issues are very real. And particularly if you are young and this is um, the sort of show that you love, it's, you know, it, it, it makes you and, and hopefully will will see you look at these uh, these programs in a very different way. So for the people around me who will tell me if something's crap, thankfully they haven't. <laughs> because I think they, they, they recognize this highlights something very necessary, necessary sorry, and something uh, very now. Um, Tom, could they have found a more handsome Billy? Oh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thanks, that feels like a good point to end my questions, but there's a lot of questions that have come in from the audience, so I'm going to read these uh, to you now. So this question is from Sam Downey, and it's a question for Reggie. What has the change been like from going from Radio 1 presenter and podcaster to TV presenter and now to writer? Has your creativity changed during the process? Uh, no, I just, uh, I've always sort of said that... Um regardless of what it is that I found myself doing, be it acting as a, as a, as a younger guy or making documentaries uh, without sounding like an absolute chief, um, it's, it's telling stories, isn't it? Uh, and you can't say that without feeling like a proper plonker, but basically storytelling is the reason that all of us get involved in this. And um, there is no more holistic process than sitting in a room with, uh, with a producer and, and going through some ideas and, eventually having a script and then sitting there and watching actors bring it to life. Um, so for me, it's just another version of, um, of telling a story, but in a, in a different way. And, in, and to, to be really personal about it, um, the most uh, fulfilling way for me. Drama is without doubt the most fulfilling version of that. Um, as a question from Ellis Witter, what was the hardest challenge you came across while researching and filming the show. Colin, maybe you can take this one to start with. What was the hardest challenge? Time. It was a nightmare time-wise. Um, uh, so we just, yeah, we, I mean, I, th I think from the point at which we started writing to filming, I think it was, what, two and a half months or something? It was tight, wasn't it? it was, yeah. I'm looking at Reggie now, but I think it was about, yeah, it was, it was tight. Um, and of course, because of the nature of the, the story and the subject, it was incredibly sensitive as well. So the lack of time and wanting to make sure that the story we told was responsible and conscientious and, and sensitive was, you know, it was a, we didn't want to put a foot wrong. We really didn't want to get it wrong. There was a lot, it felt like there was a lot at stake. So that, that, was, that was tough. Yeah, I think the sensitivities of the issue at hand was, uh, paramount for, for all of us really um, just ensuring that we were being as, as true as possible and also doing justice to the characters that we wanted to to put on the screen and make them as human as possible as well so in such a short time frame to deliver something that felt real and felt honest was uh, was really important and that was without doubt difficult. Um, we've got a question from Ivana Meehan White. She says, fantastic production. Reggie, as writer, how did you decide how to structure the storytelling and what informed the choice of leaving out the middle part of the story, the reality show? So why did we not see any Love or Lust? 
Uh, well, full transparency, it changed several times. Um, and I'm glad that we ended up where we did. Um, I'm one of those weirdos who just likes to write things. So um, off the back of a very early conversation, I just went away and vomited out a draft that had, as they say, everything in it. And uh, the art of the process, uh, as I'm learning, the more I do is sort of stripping stuff away and ending up with um, the best way to tell the story. And I think that what we have with the two strands, uh, the interview and Billy's present day life, were the two most uh, pertinent pieces of the story. So um, yeah, it was a stripping away process, but again, you know, uh, Colin's been here before. Uh, and I think with, uh, to, to again, reference a show that he did forever ago, My Murder, um, Colin was working with, and I don't wanna speak for you, Colin, but you know, you were working with a real story and intercutting between the factual element and the actual dramatic element, I imagine has given him more than enough to help guide a writer like myself and a new writer at that to get to the heart of the story in the most important way. And uh, I'm just really glad that, that, that I think we achieved that. Uh, Tom, was there any point where you were disappointed that you weren't going to be sent away to a sunny desert island to film this, this reality show? Of course, that's the only reason I signed up. It wasn't... <laughs> No, I think I think it was I think it was good they they didn't show it because it, it left it completely up to the imagination what happened and also because I'm sure a lot of the viewers have seen this know exactly the kind of show that they can imagine in their head and what happened and 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 it's good to sort of see yeah this this reaction afterwards of you know you see it in the scene with 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 me and Emma when I just go I was edited and produced so you can you can see that my character was not happy with how he was portrayed. I think that was that was powerful enough to not actually see it. Um, Although, as Emma says back to you, you're not being produced now. Yeah, yeah. That's the line. That's the line <laughs> of the film. <laughs> um, I've got a question from Janet Orr, who asked when this uh, when development started on this and how long it took to make. And was it always, I think we touched on this slightly, but was it always uh, a drama or was it initially going to be a documentary? Colin, maybe you can take this. Yeah, on. more than a year ago, um, when we started to, I think it was commissioned in August. So we talked about it prior to that. And as I was saying earlier, it was a, it, it was initially a, a documentary idea. Um, it felt like it was a subject that was very close to the BBC Three audiences' hearts. And we wanted to, we thought it was important and timely, um, but as I said earlier, it felt a little bit like the, the way to do it that would really move people was to to do it in a drama, to really put them in the in the shoes of of Billy. Um, but it's you know these things take a long time. To I mean, in, in relative terms, actually, when you're doing it, you, it feels like you've got very very little time. So the actual writing process took two or three months. The shoot was how long was the shoot, Tom? Like nine days yes. so which in tv terms is in any terms actually is, <laughs> is um so you you don't have much um you don't have much space for um mucking about um and then you edit for a couple of weeks and then it's done um emma you're laughing there that how how long were you on set for it can't have been um i think uh three days yeah 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 um well, I've got a question from an anonymous attendee. He says, Tom and Emma's performances are both fantastic. Congratulations. 
And then uh, there's a question for Tom. What was it like working with Peter King? And that's from Heather from Hull. <laughs> that's, that's from Peter King. Peter, mom. that's from Peter. This <laughs> <laughs> question, Heather from Hull. Um, <laughs> can't be here today. He's, he's, he, was, he was a really great director. I mean, like we said, like nine days is a tough shoot. And, he, you know, he was just brilliant to collaborate with in yeah. rehearsals, in the audition. You know, when I knew when I auditioned, I'd looked up some of his short films and stuff. And I just, you know, this is his first TV project. This is a pretty heavy one to be his first one. And, I, and, and especially with the short shoot that we had and the subject. And, yeah, he was, he was just a really good helmsman, Heather. He was a very, very good. <laughs> and I think collectively as a whole, like the entire team, um, that's what made it so great. It was great to be, for me personally, it was great to be part of a project where everybody is so talented and passionate about what they do. And, um, you know, everyone came together and... Everyone was their own game. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's interesting. Kind of odd to say it was a, a fun set you know, with the subject matter. It was a really sensitive, strong set with every crew member and every cast member who came in. And obviously the script, everything came together to make it really good. Because there are many things that if you're filming that short, yeah. it part. I mean, the interview scenes, for instance, we filmed, that was 20 pages over two days, which again, in, in, in acting terms, is a lot of material to shoot really quickly. And yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better cast to be around and director to have and script. Everything. Um, Colin and Reggie, would you like to talk about Peter King? Since while well, we're all talking about Peter King, <laughs> I'm Peter King's number one fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean it's a great thing about BBC Three Drama actually that um, it is a chance to give um, really, really talented people the opportunity to have their work seen by big audiences. And um, and uh, as Tom was saying, Peter had mostly done short films prior to this, and, uh, but it was obvious he was just really, really talented and kind of bursting to get this opportunity. And you could just see that. And um, I, I love the fact that BBC Three is a platform for that talent. It's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember the conversations that we were having about directors uh, early doors. And um, I, uh, I, I was pathetic in a lot of ways in, uh, just how much pain I felt in handing over something that I cared so much about to someone else. But uh, the minute that I saw Peter's work, I knew that he was the right person for it because um, visually what Peter does and has consistently done is, is incredible. And, uh, you know, I'm not blowing smoke here, but I think for anybody watching it to know that that was done in nine days and for it to look as good as it does look is it's unbelievable. So between Peter and the DP, I think visually what, what we saw was fantastic. And also, you know, the director plays a huge part in the performances that uh, we, we, we get to watch and enjoy. And so Peter, I think did a, did a great job. Yeah. David Proctor, the DP, by the way, because it, it looks stunning. I mean, I remember being there on the set and it just it made it look really beautiful. So, yeah, I've got to say, I, I wasn't there on the foggy day. That was complete luck, wasn't it? That wasn't you. That wasn't like fifty thousand steam smoke machines, was it? No, that was all natural. Yeah. Not. Although, although at the time it was, it wasn't considered luck because we were up whatever ten floors up a block of yeah. flats with no view out of the window other than just fog. So it might as well have been a set. It was like, 
<laughs> it looked, I, I thought it looked amazing as well. You, you get that fog in the park as well, which I imagine was probably put on the same day. And it looks insane. It looks like it was completely deliberate. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure Pete's going, minute, minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another question from Basma Khalifa. Uh, do you think there'll be a turning point in reality TV? And if so, what do you think will replace it? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Um, I think that's down to the audience, really, because fundamentally, uh, you know, channels will keep putting on what, what rates. And so long as people are watching reality TV, um, it will keep getting commissioned. Uh, I remember when reality TV started, you know, and it was a social experiment. We were all excited to see what people were going to do in a house over the course of a summer. And we all got obsessed with Nasty Nick because he was writing notes. That was the worst thing that happened <laughs> on, on that show. He was writing notes and peeing in the shower. Uh, whereas now it's gone in a completely different direction. So um, I think as, uh, as society changes and as we and our tastes as a community changes and progresses, so will uh, what's being commissioned. It, it will only change and, and progress as we do, I think. Colin, is there anything you'd like to add to that one? From a producer point of view, I think maybe we've turned something of a, a corner. I think reality TV is just, it's a part of our world. It's, you know, it's, it's fantastic and entertaining, um, but it also has risks unquestionably. Um, but I think that we've, as producers, I think we're more aware than ever about the risks and it's taken some really terrible things to happen, I think, for producers across the industry to maybe take it as seriously as they need to. Um, it feels like that's the case now. I mean, we'll see, you know, we'll see how it goes with other shows in the genre, but it does feel like there's a level of seriousness now that wasn't there even a year ago. And as a question from Charlie Lucas for Reggie, uh, what drew you to wanting to create a piece like Make Me Famous? I think we touched on this a little bit in the Q&A, but, uh, the, in the Q &A, but. Well, it, it just made sense as a piece that speaks to our time. Um, we're in a moment where our relationship with reality TV uh, is in question, uh, just given some of the things that uh, are happening and some of the, um, the knock-on effects of what should be entertainment. Um, I think a lot of people are asking themselves the question, how much do I want to engage with this? And what part do I play in the greater conversation? So um, I think it's it's timely and, um, and, it, and it just made sense to, to be a part of a project that speaks to something that um, is affecting the audience. Um, as someone who spent the last, the best part of the last decade making documentaries that do that, to be able to do that in drama is a gift and you know I'm not going to pretend that I'm some hotshot writer that the the BBC said oh that's definitely our guy you know I was given a shot and um as a result we have something that that I think is um is really strong and I'm not going to pretend that I did it by myself I was guided really well by incredible producers like Sue and and, and Colin and and we're lucky enough to have the actors that we have that have executed it in the way that that has been done so it is massively a team effort but at the same time, it is a project that needed to happen now. And thankfully, a conversation has been started. And there's another question from Charlie Lucas. This one's for Tom. How did you deal with having to deliver such a sensitive yet powerful scene at the end of the show? It, it, it was really, it was tough. Uh, as just an acting thing, it's, it's tough. And, and I remember that day 
because you you know you're nervous for that you want to portray it really well and again luckily having having Pete with you you, you know we got we trusted each other really well and I knew he was going to take me in the right direction with it but I, I did have a little breakdown at one point because separate from my character where I, I remember I went to side with Pete and I and I couldn't stop crying at one point because I was like I, I, it's just hit me that again that I'm portraying a situation that real people have, have been in this moment of complete hopelessness that you think that's the only way out and that was that hit me again you know because I said it was a really it's a really nice set and you you were handling it in a sensitive way but you 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 kind of got out of your head that you were doing this fictional story but then that was something that hit me that yeah there are people who feel that that's the only way out and that was just it broke my heart a little bit and it made me again just realize how important it was what, what we're doing to to show the effects that can cause these people that you know, so people on social media or the, or the audience on these shows forget are real people, and and it shouldn't take it shouldn't take this kind of thing to happen for producers to notice or for people online to go, oh wait, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be like that. But it was it was a really yeah it was a really tough thing to do. And this question kind of follows on from that. This is from Miss CV Master Antonio. How can the industry change to become kinder and offer more support to reality stars? Do you, what do you think could be done? Um, Colin, maybe this is one for you. I think the, the, the biggest thing we can do is, is really make sure people understand what they're getting into. I think as producers, maybe we've not taken that as seriously as, as we might. Um, there's been a tendency, I think, to just want those characters to come onto the show and um, and you worry about the vulnerabilities later. And I think I think we need to worry about the vulnerabilities first and then the right people will get on the show. Um, you just, you don't know how people are going to react to the experience, but, but you can ask questions in a more rigorous way than I think we have till now. So, so I think it's really about making sure people are properly informed and that people use the phrase duty of care all the time in television. Like, like it's a phrase, it's almost lost its meaning. Duty of care means treating somebody the way you would want to be treated. And I think if we work to that, we'd probably go a long way. And I think there's one uh, last question, which is out of curiosity. This is from an, an anonymous attendee, but not Heather from Hull, I don't think. Uh, out of curiosity, why did you decide to make it a single film as opposed to a series? Uh, Reggie? Um, well, I, I think this is more of a, a Colin question, but I, I think he'd agree with me in saying that, you know, that this is a strand. You know, there is a, a legacy of single dramas that deal with issues that really do affect the BBC Three audience from uh, My Murder, which I've mentioned a few times right the way through to Murdered by My Boyfriend and you know, Killed by My Debt most recently. Um, these films are important and they speak to issues that really do affect the audience. And um, I think a single drama is a, a really, uh, it's a really smart way to attack it because you've got an hour to not only deliver a message, but also make people think. And a point can get labored if you're doing that over four hours or six. And uh, we sort of have no choice uh, but to really put it in your lap and say, look at this thing that's happening when you're trying to, uh, when you're trying to manage something as complicated as this in 60 minutes. So um, I think that there is something really special about doing it in an hour because that way you can't hide from it or you can't run from the issue at hand. Yeah. 
And we should say again that it's on BBC One on Thursday night at 9pm. Thank you very much, everyone. That was really, really great. Um, it was lovely to speak to you all. And yeah, I hope that everyone enjoys the show who hasn't seen it already. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.